Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where every meal is served with ketchup. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Jesus Crust. Good pies at a competitive price with home delivery in the greater Philadelphia area will leave you praying to Jesus Crust. <laughs> That's my favorite one. That's my favorite one. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the festival. I'm Wes. <laughs> and I'm Todd. And we are filmmakers who, you know, like to apply our filmmaking knowledge and history uh, as we look at films and what can we learn from them? You know, what are the things that they're doing or not doing? Um, maybe sometimes there's missed opportunities that were like, oh, if they had done this, it could have enhanced the film X, Y, Z, um, or, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. And here's where they set up this hidden payoff, you know, um, that, that you just don't see coming. I think a lot of the best payoffs are, uh, the ones that you don't realize have been set up in the first place. Yeah. Anyway, the, that's just what we like to do. We like to, you know, analyze films and see what we can learn from it, get better at our craft and also just because we enjoy talking and looking at movies. There um, you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, we got a lot to do. We're going to do a bonus episode after this for our Patreon members. And so maybe we'll let y'all in on that at the end of the episode. But yeah, what are we covering today, man? Today we're covering The Batman uh, and it's just come out. So if you haven't seen it, at least at the recording of this episode, so if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go watch it. It's going to we're going to be having a lot of spoilers going on and we don't want to mess anything up for you, especially uh viewing of a brand new movie. So for sure, man, we'll we'll look at a few things. We'll we'll look at some of the cinematography, uh the way they use use edge lighting or not. Um we'll also do a dive into the story and writing, Batman's breaks, Catwoman's story told through her boots. And all the payoffs of the movie and other such stuff and things and stuff. A quick synopsis of the film. When a serial killer begins murdering political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption. It's directed by Matt Reeves, written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. Cinematography by Greg Brazier, starring Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Zoe Kravitz as Selina Kyle and Catwoman. Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant Gordon. Colin Farrell as the Penguin, Paul Dano as the Riddler, John Tuturo as Falcone, Andy Serkis as Alfred, and Peter Sarsgaard as D.A. Coulson. Who's the mustache with the broken nose? It's Kinsey. Narcotics. He's one of the guys I got into it with at the Iceberg Lounge. What do you think? Kinsey Moon Knights with the Penguin. I'm almost just a cop. Entire police force taking a shot at you. Yeah. Man, so I don't know if you, one, I guess if you could set me up with your expectations going in, were you anticipating this movie? You know, this has been a long time of coming. Um, or were you just like, okay, it's fine. You know, there's, a, there's another Batman coming out. I'll, I'll see it because, you know, it's Batman. Um, and then whether or not it lived up to your 
lack of expectation or or too much expectation. Yeah, I was definitely excited about this film from the first trailer on the darkness, the roughness, the at least from the trailer, it looked pretty it looked pretty aggressive, like much more aggressive than other Batman movies. Much more I guess real for lack of a better term, like mm. real life, I guess. It definitely wasn't in a lot of in a lot of ways, a lot of uh, huge capacity. However, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to it, uh, and I'm a big fan of Robert Pattinson, a fan of Zoe Kravitz too. And I was, I was really the biggest concern I had was their relationship, was mm-hmm. you know the the Batman Catwoman relationship. It's just never been done well. Let's let's be honest. I mean, to me, it's always been oh the bat, you know, kind of like very you know campy and. And where she's just very, she's never gotten a good shake, I'll say. And then I'm also going to be a dissenter uh, a little bit and say that I wasn't ever a massive fan of of The Dark Knight and that trilogy. Uh, I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I did love it. But I have some major qualms with it. And, you know, after doing this this podcast with me, 182 episodes now, you know, my my biggest pet peeve on superhero movies is that they're just too shiny or they have too much uh, like like uh, comedic relief or that there's stuff that's that they put in their relationship wise that doesn't work. And there, there's a lot of things that they try to cram in to superhero movies now that just they don't need. They don't need mm. stick with the story, make it what it's supposed to be for that character, heighten you know, that character's characteristics and what they're dealing with and then, and get out. And I mean, I just got to say this movie totally hit it for me. Uh, I mean, I, I absolutely adored it from the beginning to the end. I loved the slow stillness. It was so slow. Oh my gosh. It was so (laughs) quiet half the time. I mean, I, there was barely any, I mean, Batman barely yelled at all. I mean, it was like, most of the conversation was very much what we just heard in the clip of like this whispering, you know, whatever. And Pattinson's portrayal of Batman is spot on for me. That it just hit for me. Bale's Bale's you know kind of growling voice was so annoying. It bothered the hell out of me. It always did from the very beginning. I was like, I want to like this because Christian Bale is one of the best actors out out there. But I just yeah. But I feel like. Pattinson had a really great balance between, you know, changing his voice just slightly, but not completely different. I mean, and look, there is a, there, you know, the whole mask thing and nobody knowing that it's, that it's Bruce Wayne, that it's just a, you know, it's a kind of a given. You go with right? it. You yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you just kind of, uh, you just kind of like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we always just kind of expect that. So what's, if we're expecting that anyway, what's the need to change your voice? Like that's not going to trick anybody, right? Like you can see half your face. I mean, it's pretty, and he's got a chiseled jawline. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Anyway, I loved their relationship, Catwoman and Batman. I, I totally bought it. I bought that her making him chase her. I bought the, them leaving each other at the end. I bought his fighting to not want to be with her, but really wanting to be with her. I, I liked that. I didn't even know that was Colin Farrell as the penguin. I had no idea. Zero. Same. Yeah. Zero idea. 
just complete transformation. It was, I mean, whoever did the, the, the makeup on that deserves the Oscar. Absolutely. It's fantastic. I loved Totoro as Falcone was flawless, bro. Yeah. Just like, you know, cause you got, cause the, the, the point of someone like Falcone is that he has to also be lovable and dangerous at the same time. Right. Because he has to be lovable because he, he he's, you know, that's how he builds his empire. Cause like people want to be around him. People want to be, you know, like, but he's also super scary and he'll, he'll kill you in a second. And I've, completely bottom is that and then andy circus obviously was perfect paul dano is a riddler of course had to be i mean it, yeah it's it was just really great overall the mood was really it, i mean spot on for batman very dark very moody i loved the cost the way the the actual deaths that that the way the riddler did it mm. i it was it was gory without being gory which is fantastic for a movie like this, you know, like they, he kills them really terrible ways, but it's not like saw where they show it, you know, or like, you know, where you're just, there's blood everywhere and it's just gory for the sake of being gore. Uh, it was purposeful and calculated just like, you know, someone like the Riddler would be, it was fun and funny, not like to him, not funny. And I saw it with my neighbor and he said, he said that he kind of like maybe wanted a little bit more comedic relief. And I absolutely did not. I don't want any comedic relief in this. If you try to make me laugh, you will lose me for the entire movie in Batman. Stop doing that shit. It is not funny. I don't like it. In 90% of all uh, superhero movies, I don't like it. Yeah, I'll I'll lightly disagree in that the humor should come from a dark place, a la the Joker. Like anything that's funny should be very, very dark. Um, yes. and come from that place and that and in that way of course it's adding to the stuff that you're talking about the darkness and the edginess of the of the film itself and so those are the yeah. kind of jokes i can get with but i i agree like i, I wouldn't want any like comedic relief uh, great point yeah. great point if it's if it's dark like from the joker yeah that and that's his character right exactly you know so anyway long story short i really really enjoyed it there were a few moments that i felt like drug a little bit mm. but when it was dragging, I was also just enthralled. It was usually dragging when it was really quiet and there was a ton of Batman in it. Ton of Batman. So anytime Batman was on screen, I was enthralled. Even if it was dragging, I didn't I didn't care. I'm like, oh, I just want to watch Pattinson as Batman longer. That's fine. Just like stay on him. I loved the sound design in this film too. The <laughs> I was gonna ask about that, yeah. Okay, so all they did. Let's be let's be clear of how important sound design is. And I know we talk about this all the time and it's great. We we're gonna talk about it here. But really, all they did was heighten his footsteps. They mm. they said, I could I can see this conversation between like Matt Reeves and the producer saying or, or and the and the sound uh, the sound engineer saying, I want his footsteps to be scary as hell. That's it. That's all you gotta do. I wanna hear his footsteps all the time, and I want them to be thuddy and heavy like with the weight of his life the weight of the burden he carries to improve gotham to like save these people which we feel from the beginning very first words he says to the very end i want to feel that in every step and anytime whether we see him or not i'm hearing those footsteps and sometimes they're heavier than others but they're always there and it was it was perfect it was like it it was just it was his calling card you know how we talk about sometimes we talk about motifs 
with um uh in which there was great motifs here musically um with batman which there should be but in this case i i felt it even more the music was great but his motif really was his footsteps hmm. you know I, I mean anytime we we saw him or didn't even see him but we were about to see him it was, the footsteps came in and so i was like knowing what to expect from the first time we see him when he walks out of the shadows to that group of guys who was going to beat up that guy, the guy in the subway i don't maybe there was music i don't really remember if there was music or not, but I remember the footsteps. And so anytime I was like in my head, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to be hearing most of this movie. And it was, and it was great. Anyway. So I'll stop there and we can talk about some other things. I'm curious to what you think, because I think this could be with us. Maybe it's a polarizing thing. I don't know. I think I'll probably learn a little bit more from some of your notes that you're going to bring up. Probably. Probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I learned a lot. I Walking out of the, so I've seen this twice, uh, walking out, I had very mixed feelings. I didn't love it, um, but there were things about it that I did love. And after watching it again, uh, after sitting on it for a couple of days and then watching it again, I don't think I really like it. Um, I don't think it's a very good use of three hours. That's a lot of runtime yeah. and you do need to justify it. And I don't think they did. Uh, and I will explain why I have specific reasons why I don't think they, they justify that runtime. And we'll get into that much later, but just on the outset, the things that I did love, let's talk about that for a second, because there is so much to love. I agree. I love the tone. Excellent tone. It's dark. And for once, you know, it really does fit all the aesthetics, right? The cinematography, the iconography. Um, I think they went a little too far on his house. I mean, they didn't have to make it feel like he was living in an actual Victorian mansion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think there was just a little too far there. But still, even with that, like the the darkness of the film itself, it, you know, not a lot of edge lighting. I think that was one of the things that jumped out at me early on. A lot of films use what you might call traditional three-point lighting, sometimes just two-point. Um, and that's effectively three different types of lighting that you have. You have your main key light. This is the light that's giving you the brightest part of the, the, the lighting of the scene. Then they'll usually fill in. So like if if you do Nixon hands, if you just kind of, you know, imagine you are going to be lit up for a scene and you do what they call Nixon hands or Nixon fingers, right? I am not a crook. And you put your hands up the way he would or the way we think he did. You know, one of those hands you can pick, it doesn't matter which, uh, let's say your right hand is your key light. And then on your left hand will be the fill light. And so you'll have all this light kind of hitting you pretty good from, from one angle. And then they'll usually fill in some of the shadows a little bit so that, you know, you're not creating new shadows. You just maybe even just a balance, right? You may not even have necessarily uh, a whole other light, but you fill in some of those shadows. That's called the fill light. That's why it's called that. And then in the back, the, the third light is what you would call a rim light or an edge light. And that just kind of adds a little bit more, uh, dimension by helping you pop out from the background, right? That's usually going to be a, a much brighter uh, white rim light. Um, think of it like the edge of the moon, right? It's just this very, and as you watch movies or TV or commercials, um, you'll begin to see it, right? It's got, it's very specular. It's very, uh, very shiny. This movie did almost none of that. Like uh, they kind of just had their main key light and then that was it. Um, maybe, you know, they would use a lot of uh, what you what you would call like practical lights um, in it. And I don't even know that they necessarily lit with practicals, but they did such a strong job of making it feel like all, like all the lighting was coming from the practicals in a way that it doesn't feel like there's a light 
anywhere near. I wouldn't be surprised if either A, they, they really did use practicals and available light and natural lighting and all these kinds of things. Or B, they just had a thousand lights up there um, strategically placed so that you feel that way. Um, and Greg Fraser is one of the best. Uh, I don't know how many films of his we've really covered. I mean, Dune would be one of them. But you can see like he has this very Deacon's almost style of lighting where uh, it, it feels very natural and embedded in the environment and along with that is you're also not usually adding a lot of these uh, edge lights a lot of rim lighting uh, and i think that's specifically intentional because it blends the the characters into the shadows especially bruce wayne the first time we meet bruce wayne there's not only not an edge light on him but there is one on alfred you know, Alfred's over here talking to him and there's a very strong edge light on Alfred. And I think that's super intentional, right? It's, it's blending him into the shadows. It's very much part of his character. There almost is no Bruce Wayne, right? There is only Batman, uh, which I think story-wise is a bit of a problem, uh, but we'll get into that. Um, and, but generally even absent that scene or that shot, uh, there's just generally not a lot of, not a lot of rim lighting and it's styled in a very single source method, a lot of reverse key, uh, so that the light is coming from, you know, upstage uh, into the camera. And in that way, you know, there's a lot of dimension and texture um, and mood. You create a ton of mood and you're almost making the audience kind of squint into the shadows. Uh, and that's just the mood of Gotham, right? It's, this is a dark story. It's a dark place uh, and it shouldn't feel safe and, you know, very shallow depth of field. So that they're still able to control where you're looking um, and, and direct your eye. Uh, but the the wide, wide uh, anamorphic, you know, you get beautiful bokeh. The city itself feels like this beautiful thing, even though it's, you know, dark and grim. Uh, so there's just a lot of interesting visuals, I think. And then that that's just one of the things I really loved about this is I think it might be to me and the things that I want out of uh, any project. It's probably the most beautiful uh, superhero film out there. I don't know what else I would put against it in terms of actual aesthetics for a superhero movie uh, this is my top pick uh without like flipping through a, a notebook certainly nothing in the mcu i don't think there's anything in the mcu that that could touch this that's very usually very bright and friendly uh but yeah it, that that the style plays very well into the shady nature of the city another thing cinematography wise i really liked is the uh uh the rooftop scene they have several scenes up there on the rooftop whereas bat signal is and I think that's probably a virtual set. I don't know this for a fact. I think just based on what I was looking at and I, I didn't want to look it up. I, I just thought it would be more fun to, to talk it out. But if it is a, a virtual set, I thought it was a really great use of a virtual set because you're going to recycle this same setup multiple times in multiple lighting scenarios. Why not? You know, spend a few hundred thousand, maybe a million bucks and dress the hell out of that set and and now you can really maximize because we spend a ton of time up there true. whenever you're talking about runtime so it makes a lot of sense to uh, maximize and now you can even build out your your cityscape right into the background and man does that flesh out the city uh so i thought that was a beautiful choice but if not if it's not a, a virtual set um which a virtual set just means that instead of green screen you would have like projectors or these massive monitors so that you can program into a computer project this thing that works in conjunction with the camera so that as you move the camera the city would act 
the exact same way as a city would act if you were filming a city. So like there might be a little parallax that happens in between buildings. And it's just a very high end uh, way to, to, to create visual effects instead of just doing, Oh, we're going to green screen it or blue screen it. No, instead you have the actual city up there so that you can create the actual sense of depth in camera and, and create a much more polished visual effect than you could ever get through green screening, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense because then they can spend all the time they want. They don't have to, you know, scramble for a golden hour, which they did several shots around then or like dawn or dusk or whatever. And it's where you have, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get that take. Instead, you can spend all day, you know, or multiple days getting a, a specific take. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. 100% because there is that that scene. Because here's the thing. If this wasn't a virtual set, holy crap, did they film some of those scenes incredibly efficiently. Because there is this uh, that scene you're talking about where it's either sunrise or sunset. I don't know which. Uh, but the sun is hanging just above a building in the distance. And it's, we start on a wide there and then the lighting never shifts throughout that entire scene. And we get a ton of coverage. That's probably a good four or five minute scene. And in order to do that, yeah, no way. there's just no way. And the lighting never shifts, which again, maybe they shot it efficiently where we're, we're like, we're going to get these two wides with the sun in that shot. And then we're going to fake the the lighting for the rest of the, the, the coverage, right? Because they do these close-ups and reverses, multiple angles. So it's not just like, oh, we're going to get like, four setups and we'll be able to get two cameras in to do like reverse, you know, over the shoulder shots. No, no, no. They, they must've done like 10, 12 more setups. Like there was a ton of setups. And when you're doing that at gold, you know, right at, uh, right at the end of golden hour, like that's insane. You're just not going to be able to do that, you know, yeah. in that 15, 20 minute window. Cause that the sun moves very, very quickly on the horizon. Um, as you and I have experienced a number of times, I remember (laughs) we were doing one, one scene in an office with, uh, one of our, you know, random clients. And I told her she wanted to grab this shot and I'd set up all the lighting. I was like, Hey, if we're going to get the shot, we need to get it. Now we have about 15, maybe 20 minutes for the sun moves behind that building and all the lighting is going to get screwed up. Um, and she was like, no, you know, uh, I need need another minute. I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm letting you know. The sun doesn't care about your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you know, naturally, you know, our, our fears came to pass within literally that 15 to 17 minute window. Yeah. And so if, if they didn't use a virtual set hats off because Greg Fraser might be a God, but you know, assuming you did, that's still a really great idea and use uh, as a way to construct the city skyline in a way that fits the city you want to make because you know you can't always do that and in life create the city like hey mayor can we move that building um or erect a new one um anyway but another thing i really loved man was uh this is something i've been waiting on for batman for years and years and years since really since i was a kid which is the dark detective like i have been dying to see this version of batman it's always been the the batman who's you know, maybe chasing things around and trying to piece things together, but it was never really the detective, the dark detective where he's working with the cops and he's actually, you know, trying to crack and understand the clues to a mystery. Uh, and that's, 
this entirety of the film was that. And so for me, that was really exciting. And I, I loved, I love that, you know, of course it's really hard to do a mystery of any caliber, let alone, you know, insert a superhero into it. And so I think ultimately that's probably going to be a lot of where my, my own issues are, but just to, to throw it back to you for a second, before I get into all my notes, how did you, did you like, so one of the things I really loved uh, about the soundscape was the overall music choices, right? Uh, was, was really cool that having that, that theme kind of kicking back in from the beginning to the end of the film. Uh, but also the use of Batman as a horror character for the villains. And they mm -hmm. emphasize that right with these string stabs. They have these really strong horror string stabs that come in periodically. Um, like at the end of the film, whenever he, he, he bursts the, the fire extinguisher open, right. To give him some, some cover. And then the bad guys are all waiting around and then they'd start doing the, you know, string mm -hmm. stabs and he comes out of the, the fog and starts whooping everyone's butt. Yeah. So were there some of those elements that you liked? I don't know if you noticed that specifically um, or some of the other music choices in there. Uh, how did you feel about the the score and, and songs? Yeah. I mean, well, the only thing really I already mentioned is, is yep, the footsteps and mm -hmm. his motif, you know, his Batman actual, you know, like there's a line that plays to signify him. The rest of it was great because I didn't really fully notice it. Like mm. the only thing that I really noticed would were, were those things that I that I mentioned. And I think that's that's really a great aspect of a score. Not every score, right? I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about some scores that we absolutely love and we wouldn't change a second of and that have made the movie. The score makes the movie. In this case, I don't necessarily know that that's true. I don't think that yeah. it is, but I think it's fantastic in that it doesn't get in the way. Yeah. It only heightens, right? Because really what we're there for, you know, this isn't, this isn't a movie that I want to be on this, this, it's, it's not a, an, an, an all enveloping film where every, all the puzzle pieces have to fit exactly together. Like some of our favorite movies, right? In which case, where the score plays a, you know, half of the importance of, of what we're watching. I think in this case, as long as it supports what's happening and pushes it along, it could have been completely different and it still would have stood on, on itself, right? It still would have stood up, you know, uh, next to the film. Hmm. As long as the motif didn't change and the, the, the footstep situation was there. Like I, those were the big things. Uh, you know, I'm big on motif, especially with something as iconic as Batman. And, and I love what they did there. I just, you know, it, it didn't really jump out at me, the score itself. So yeah, was I that, like that, was that Nirvana that, that they were uh, absolutely making throughout. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I was in love with that. I mean, the first time they oh, dropped yeah. that, I was like, this is working. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I guess I didn't mention that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I kind of forgot that. So thank you for bringing it up because <laughs> they bring that back multiple yeah. times. You know, it's at the beginning, it's at the end. Mm -hmm. There's actually a section in the, in the middle too, where I think it might be musical. Yeah. And I love that because it it's, I mean, one, the song is brilliant and, and amazing. And Nirvana is one of my favorite bands of all time, but two, like the way that that song was recorded is very much the style of how of sonically of how they spoke in this film. So they're very understated and quiet in in their dialogue in this film and the story behind how Kurt sang that song was he was in the booth and they just couldn't get it right. 
and he was so, he was upset and he was exhausted. So he laid down on the couch and he started humming it. And Butch Vig, who was the producer of that album, brilliant man, brought a mic over to him, put it on him as he was laying down on the couch. And that's how he sang the song. So it's like the most lazily sung, you know, almost falling asleep kind of thing, which is perfect for how this, this, the dialogue in this film is also recorded, right? It's very subtle and understated and, and not small, very heavy, you know, but at the same time, very just, you know, quiet. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely love that. When they started playing it, I actually, I was sitting next to, next to, you know, the guy I went with and I said, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew this is going to be good. This is going to be so good. So yeah, great point to that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That, that definitely landed for me. I'll dive into some of these things um, and please see what, what pops up. But as far as story and writing goes, just to take a look first at the, the man himself, Bruce Wayne, Batman, introducing the new Batman universe that they they use a, maybe too much monologue voiceover. Like uh, we start with this voiceover, right? And it's kind of emo and it's Batman telling us how he feels and how the the city's dark and how he doesn't think he's making a difference um, and his frustration in that, uh, but also how much everyone fears him. And, you know, his uh, he's in every shadow in the mind of uh, all the, all the thugs in, in the city. Um, and then, then of course we, we see as, as he's telling us all this, right. We're seeing it play out, right. There's a, couple people in the in an alley and one's you know whatever spray painting this and that and they they turn and look and we have these beautiful kind of creeping shots into the into the darkness where he's not because uh his signals in the sky right um everyone's expecting him around the corner and he's on the prowl or whatever and then we cut to uh this train right where there's these thugs who are watching a video of i think someone getting beat up and uh oh that, that's right they were playing uh this fake game called knockout where they they just one punch someone and they just fall out and we follow them as they try to rob some random guy and of course batman beats all their asses and i think this is a fairly meaningless victory and because and i think it's i think it's supposed to be right because batman's struggle that he's going on about is that he's not making a difference hence we're going to see a meaningless victory take place um he's he just you know did something that isn't going to add up to anything or at least anything that anyone other than that one guy is going to appreciate um i'm sure he appreciated it of course um victims always appreciate you know having uh help when it's needed but ultimately you know it's not going to change the tide of the war that he's fighting and of course just because it's a meaningless victory to me doesn't mean it should be an otherwise meaningless scene which i think it is we at the end of that scene we connect with one of the bad guys and there's no real payoff to this entire opening scene Uh, and i think that's a i think that's a sin for for most movies you shouldn't open on an introduction that really has no cumulative value and so there's no real payoff to this this scene and that's something you kind of have to get used to in this movie of not having a payoff um and so we spent five minutes up until this scene hearing about how batman is now in every shadow scaring every thug and then he walks up to these guys in his full bat suit and the first thing they ask with the bat signal in the sky who the hell are you supposed to be like that's 
that doesn't make any sense. And of course, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is create an opportunity to work in the on vengeance persona, um, which becomes, I think for me a bit tired. That's, that's what Selena keeps calling him um, because she doesn't know him by any other name, of course. Uh, and that's by his own design. And of course it comes to a head. I think it would have worked for me a little bit better if they hadn't used it uh, a few more times between that first time he says it. And then the last time he hears it come out of the mouth of that, uh, the shooter guy, right? Um, who are you? And he says, I'm vengeance. And then he kind of realizes the impact that he's had as a vigilante has been to occur, encourage um, other types of villainy. And that's supposed to be, you know, kind of his grand lesson in this whole story, um, which we may or may not come back to. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I get lost in my own stuff sometimes. <laughs> but overall, Bruce Wayne, we're, we're very thin on who he is. And so we never really flesh out much of Batman or Bruce were entirely, I think, in my opinion, relying on the general knowledge and love of who he is. Like if you walk in not knowing anything about Batman or Bruce Wayne, you're screwed. This film is not going to help you. You're just there. There's certainly and I think that would be a little bit more forgiving if we were looking at a sub two hour film. But with a three hour runtime, it's hard to forgive not spending, you know, over the course of that that runtime 20 minutes uh getting a, a you know a little bit more depth of his character and why he's so passionate about stopping everything um we kind of know that his parents were killed somehow by someone for something we're really never the wiser about that whole backstory um and i think that's supposed to lead into some maybe future film or something i don't know but whenever his whole time is so devout to justice and curbing crime and, and corruption. I get that it, they, I just think they walked a dangerous line because they didn't want to go the origin story route, but then they're still relying on origin story elements to tell their story. Like you can't do both. Um, you either have to skip all of that or really commit, you know, a quarter of the film um, into setting up Batman, becoming Batman and, and his, and his whole uh, ideology and why he's doing what he's doing. And so I thought they walked too dangerous of a ground uh, when it comes to that. I think overall Batman gets too many breaks throughout the movie. I think as a principle, superheroes should create their own luck. And I don't think he really did that um, enough. He does it sometimes like that, that scene uh, at the end in the stadium where he creates the, that cloud I thought that was awesome. That was a great moment of creating your own luck and creating your own circumstances. But I think there's uh, maybe just too many times and I'm not going to list them all because I didn't write them all down. But like in that same flood sequence, when he's up there, um, he the shooter has a drop on him and hit the shooter's gun jams, which allows Batman to, of course, beat him up and and throw him over or whatever he does. And that I don't he never. He, He's he's too much of a badass to ever deserve a break. Um, you should never cut Batman a break. Um, and if he does get a break, it needs to come for a reason, um, not just sheer luck. And that was 100% luck, and it's senseless to me. They never shoot him in the face, of course. Uh, and this you could make this argument through mo most of the Batmans, but I would say no other Batman has this much firepower coming at him. Like, he had an absurd number of machine gun bullets flying at him sometimes at point blank range and i don't understand why 
any bad guy, let alone dozens and dozens and dozens of them, would keep shooting him in the chest where you're clearly seeing no effect take place. Like that's that that drove me a little crazy, even though it did create one of one of the coolest moments mm-hmm. where he's in the dark, right? And he's oh yeah, and you, the only reflections are uh, the the machine gun fire, which I'm I'm imagining that was all done practically, right? They're you're creating. Um, I don't know how, whether it's, you know, just through setting up these blanks that create these explosions um, out of the barrel of the fire or what. I don't know. But that was a badass little sequence, even if it simultaneously drove me crazy. Yeah, because I don't know. There's just too many times when they clearly had to drop and they just opted to shoot him in the convenient place. Yeah, I, I don't know. He could have earned you got to you got to pick your poison. I, I just think they swallowed it instead. And so I agree with that. <laughs> Catwoman, easily my favorite character in the film. And also completely agree with you. Best version of Catwoman we've ever seen uh, without, without a question. Um, not just because it's, you know, Zoe Kravitz, uh, which is already good enough reason yeah. for me, <laughs> but also because uh, they just gave her more depth. They gave her so much more meaning and why she's in the story in the first place. Um, and it wasn't hokey. You know, the the original Catwoman for me would have been Michelle Pfeiffer, who is awesome. I think she's fantastic. But it's Tim Burton's Batman, which has a certain layer of kind of cheese to it, which works in some ways and not in others. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, Celine, this version of Selena Kyle, I believed I was on board with. And I thought the best part of Batman and Bruce Wayne was... Catwoman was Selena Kyle. She brought out everything that I liked about Bruce Wayne. She brought out and, and without maybe even Zoe Kravitz herself, this might've been a very intolerable movie for me, but she brought so much uh, charisma and charm and edge to the movie. I absolutely hands down best part of the movie for me. But one of the, the, the interesting things that I thought about her was the story of her boots um, I thought that they did a great job of using her boots, which sounds, I know, very silly. Um, but the first shot of her is actually her glossy vinyl boots. I'm, I'm assuming that's vinyl. I don't know what they, what else that would have been. I don't know fabrics like that, so forgive my, my my ignorance there. But of course, it's not it's not just an accident that you know that's the first shot. Um, the boots immediately become relevant as he's looking at a photo of Annika and the mayor and he sees her boots in the edge of the frame that leads him on a mission to to watch and observe her and you know ends up leading to uh their their connection uh, throughout the rest of the film and i just also imagine as a writer you get to control now i know this was written by matt reeves and peter craig matt reeves being the director as well so uh, it's almost written and directed by him but even let's imagine it was just written by peter craig as a writer you can actually direct the uh, director subtly if you know how to write. And this gets into writing in a way that you assume uh, there's only two things you get to to do in screenwriting, which is you get to write what you see and write what you hear. You technically don't get to write anything else. Anything else you're writing, uh, you're just shooting dice on because uh, if you can't see it and you can't hear it, it doesn't really exist in the film. And so there's very few opportunities to write things that don't, show up in audio or visually that you should have in a screenplay like character description you get that's one of your freebies like hey describe a character 
to give the actor something and to help the reader understand kind of what this person is. Because as a, as a viewer, once the character comes on, you feel so much just from seeing a person. You see so much just from seeing Selena Kyle. You feel things based on the way she's dressed and the way her, her posture is, the way she speaks. You don't get any of that reading it on the page. And so you get a little bit of a cheat there in your character description. But another way that you can direct the director is by the order you you write things, the sequence of things as you describe them. And so if I'm writing the scene and describing uh, Selena Kyle, she comes in the frame. I don't start with, Selena Kyle, you know, uh, 25, drop dead gorgeous, uh, whatever, makes Bruce Wayne or, uh, Batman turn his head. Obviously, that's already just a bad description because you don't need to describe Selena Kyle by how she looks, right? That's, that's irrelevant. You describe maybe by what uh, she does to the people in the room. Maybe uh, you describe her in a thousand other ways. But one, avoid her looks, except... Now, maybe instead of even saying her name, maybe the first thing you do is you say uh, you cut to a new action line and you say glossy, you know, uh, vinyl boots step in, step into the room as we pan up. You know, we reveal Selena Kyle, 25, um, a woman on a mission that you don't want to mess with, whatever, you know, thing mm -hmm. you would. I would that I would probably have everything. I would spend a good 15, 20 minutes just thinking about how I want to describe this character if it doesn't pop out immediately. Just because I, I love grabbing the core of the character in some kind of analogy uh, that I think you can communicate so much so quickly uh, in the viewer's mind by having a really good analogy at the at the tip of your tongue um, and just kind of punching the reader with it. And so I would try to think of a good analogy, but. That's literally how the uh, the shot sequence goes, because now the director's like, oh, yeah. And then later in the scene, her boots come into play. Yeah, of course. The first the first thing that we're going to see when we see Selena Kyle is her boots, because that's a relevant part of not just uh, the scene. But then later in the film, it becomes relevant again and again, because later they're also used as a red herring at a funeral. Right. Where we meet Falcone and. Bruce Wayne sees he's in his, you know, civvies now, um, his civilian wardrobe, and he sees boots step out of this uh, limo and he can't see her face. He just sees those boots and now he's following her. What the hell is she doing with Falcone? You can almost feel his blood rising, uh, which is good because now you're asking all these interesting questions about Bruce. Why do you care? Or do you care, you know, because it's Falcone or do you care because she's with another man? Uh, is there emotions tied in? Um, and so there's all kinds of interesting things that you're able to pull out of Bruce just by using her boots. And of course it triggers that whole sequence with Falcone, right? Uh, where we hear a little bit of backstory, uh, which honestly makes me feel more for Falcone than it does for Bruce. Um, when you're hearing about him uh, doing, being helped by Thomas Wayne and you're, you're building out a lot of the world um, and only a fraction of that is really going towards Bruce. Uh, but it ends with this little exchange that foreshadows something, right? The Hippocratic Oath. No, it's, it's a little thing that, you know, he's obligated to fulfill and Falcon laughs. And of course he's laughing because he's thinking of the irony of Hippocratic Oath because he sees Thomas Wayne as a hypocrite. Um, and so all set up, of course, through her boots, that that's a really nice segue to way to lead into another scene. And then at the end of the movie, still on her boots, sorry, at the end of the movie, when the, the dam is burst, the levees are broken, there's a shot of water. She's on her bike and she's trying to exit the city. And she looks down and she sees water starting to wash over her boots. 
Um, and we see actually her boots regain a little bit of shine, but because now they're dirty, they're filthy. And now, of course, water in the movie and in general is symbolic of renewal, of cleansing, right? And for her, she herself has lost a lot of who she is in this film through this whole pursuit of getting justice for her friend and finding her friend. And so now she is going to choose a different path. She's starting to regain herself, uh, which is reflected in her boots. Uh, I thought they did an amazing job of just using something so simple to, to build out the rest of the story. Um, uh, really, really strong storytelling, uh, storytelling on that front. Um, that's a great point. I would just say that that's, that's one of the things that's, even if you don't notice it, you feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, I, I totally did not notice that. But now that you say all of that, it makes a lot of sense. But I felt it. I felt all those things that you're describing throughout describing her boots. But I felt it without knowing why, you know, and that's some great storytelling right there. It really is. But on that same note, like I, I don't know why Annika was so important to Selena. Right. I know there were friends, but and and again, maybe the. Uh, maybe not again, but maybe it's not ultimately that important. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't think this was like mission critical, but also at the same time, I think the links that she goes to for her seems like either I missed something or they could have added another dimension to that story. I don't know where, I don't know how. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, to me, it seemed like they were like together. Yeah. Is and that, did it seem like that to you? I, I had, I asked myself that question um, mm-hmm. and maybe there was an attempt at alluding to it without getting into it because um, Batman is so beloved by everyone. Maybe they didn't want to like alienate any particular, you know, demographic, mm. but they never said it. Right? They never said it. And so if, if that's the case, she's clearly bisexual because she has something for Batman, uh, right. which is all fine, of course. But whatever it was that made Annika so important to her, it never really I don't know. It never landed. It never made it obvious. Like, oh, other than I'm, I'm really upset. Y'all killed my my best friend. Um, and maybe it's just because of what the Joker says at the end. You know, whenever uh, you have so few, you know, one becomes so important. You know, a friend. When that's all you have, that's that's all you have. So I thought it was Joker too, but could it be Two Faced? It could be. I. I yeah I mean I only caught one little moment where I saw teeth but it uh, I don't know the laugh made me think Joker for sure and then right. I went to the restroom afterwards and I I was in the stall or in the urinal and there were guys <laughs> around me random guys and I was like so who was that at the end was that Joker and and they go one guy goes I thought it was Two Face and I said oh my gosh maybe it is I have no idea but maybe it is anyway. See- See, ladies, we talk in the bathroom too. Absolutely, <laughs> only only about superheroes and only facing straight forward. <laughs> yes. Oh no, I did not look at them at all. <laughs> but yeah, so that that would be my only real critique of the Selena Kyle story was just maybe could have fleshed out just a tad, maybe maybe even just like through a a, a couple sentences between the two of them, um, because we never get to know Annika, and maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I was really feeling it is because we never no Annika mm-hmm. if we had spent maybe even 30 to 60 seconds with her we would have cared just as much as Selena and we wouldn't have I wouldn't be asking that question at all that's a great point and yeah. so there's something there one of the things uh this gets into writing and directing I guess a little bit uh is the Batmobile intro the way they introduce the Batmobile 
loved it. We're in the alley, right? And this is one of those classic cheats where uh, the bad guy steps around the corner where our hero is waiting only to be caught off guard, right? The, the, the hero's gone. He just, whatever, crawled underneath the pavement and, and away. It, it happened in the cutaway. Uh, and those are always fun cheats, I guess. I don't know. I, sometimes I'm annoyed. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, it just depends on how I'm taking the rest of the movie, to be honest. Um, but anyway, what, however it happens, it happens. And suddenly we hear an engine rumble and, it, and, you know, penguin turns and looks into the alley and we cut to its silhouette, the silhouette of the Batmobile in the alley, which is illuminated backlit by the blue engine spark. Um, and it's just kind of growling. And then we get this long look from the penguin and then we kind of do this dolly in on Catwoman. and it's a slow aching push as we're just hearing it. It's the rain and the rumble of the engine. And then we cut to Gordon and he's looking, he's like, what the hell is going on? Um, and then the engine rumbles louder, right? And it almost explodes as it, you know, fires out. And I love it all because there's no dialogue. There's no, no one asks like, what the hell is that? No one says a word. You don't need to say a word. It's the freaking Batmobile. Don't cue it up. Just let us feel it because this whole thing is all feel. It's a fully fleshed out moment. Um, and I just, I, it killed for me. I loved it. Uh, and I also love the, the muscle car design of the Batmobile itself. I, I, I don't remember seeing this version. This feels like the apocalyptic Batmobile mm-hmm. and it works, man. Like straight out of Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, right? It really does. <laughs> yeah. I agreed. freaking loved it. Um, <laughs> that really worked. What didn't work. Oh man. Let's get into some of the, what I, what I'm just calling bad payoffs for one, just before this isn't necessarily a, a payoff, but the whole setup of this film is that, the the city is bad and the ultimate metric of that badness is drugs like that's uh because in in the opening scene whenever the the mayor gets killed we're watching a replay of a debate between him and Bella Real, which by the way i find is uh kind of a, a hilarious name uh bella if you've seen twilight you know is mm-hmm. the name of uh the the opposite character um and of course Rob, robert pattinson making his his bread on twilight uh so i don't know if that was intentional it's kind of hard to imagine it wasn't but there's also the double play of bella is whatever italian i don't know i have no idea uh for beautiful and um real um being kind of this play on reality or the real beauty of the city is in this new mayor, this new hope that's coming up, um, who's not beholden to Falcone or whatever. So there's just some kind of, I don't know, naming symbology that they're they're going for in there. Whatever, maybe a little on the nose, but it doesn't bother me at all. Um, what did bother me was drug use being the kind of ultimate like uh, measurement of how bad or good the city is uh, because it just strikes me as very 1992 um, and then we're watching drop heads right whatever this this new drug is it, whatever that that felt like a really sketchy point as we're kind of winding down the drug war we're now using drugs as some kind of ultimate uh, evil within the city and we need to stop it at all costs uh, this feels very dated uh, which is just i don't know it was weird it was a dumb 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 decision in my point uh, view. Uh, there, now, one bad payoff going back to the Batmobile was the penguin chase, right? It's awesome. It's chaotic. Uh, and there's some 
badass sequences in there. Like when they start rushing against traffic, um, that's all working that the explosion is working. Um, even Colin Farrell being this over the top, like excited, I got you all that still worked for me. I'm, I'm in, that's fine. And of course the horror of the Batmobile coming out of the flames and ultimately that sick sequence of the perspective of the penguin as you know, Batman's walking up on him. Sick, sick. I, it's all working. And it's so unfortunate because ultimately it's all meaningless. It absolutely leads to nothing. Like Good it's, point. it's just yeah. to fix the, the clue that they screwed up. Right. We went through all that just to leave and hey, yeah, good luck busting out of your ropes or whatever. Like that was a completely meaningless sequence. And that's really frustrating. Uh, and of course, the big mystery, the big payoff was that Falcone controlled politicians and police. Uh, yeah, it does. This is Gotham. Like, how is this a big mystery? This is that's that's a terrible way to cap uh, a mystery film is by giving us the most obvious thing of all, like. Who put these presents under the tree? It was Santa Claus. Like that, that's a really terrible, you know, mystery. That's <laughs> why, why, yeah. and and it sucks because they were so close to so many interesting things. Thomas Wayne being in cahoots with Falcone. Thomas Wayne is a villain. Now that's interesting. Whoa, okay, you have my interest. Now I'm not like freaked out. I'm not wowed, but I am interested in where this is going. Except he's not, and it's fine. And once again, this is a meaningless thread, right? Ultimately, Alfred's like, he had no idea. That wasn't what he intended at all. Okay, so Thomas Wayne is just kind of an ass. He's not really uh, a big villain. That's that's dumb. Okay, what about the Riddler? Riddler's big scheme was to bring truth and justice to Gotham by indiscriminately killing civilians and basically being a, a big piece of crap himself. Like, this is a nonsensical goal for a mastermind. His big goal was to get arrested while incels kill a bunch of people. What, what are you talking about? And I just thought he was way more interesting when he was doing, you know, quote unquote justice for the right reasons, because now you're starting to ask us something very interesting, right? What's the real difference between him and Batman? If their end goal is to end corruption and violence in the city. Well, now you can start to, you know, draw some some really interesting questions between them about what the meaning of justice and the meaning of uh, what the city is going through uh, and what he went through as a kid in an orphanage built by one of the richest, powerful people. And they just undercut all of that. And in, in weird ways, like this whole thing, bring him into the light. That was his masterful clue. Like, is Riddler a genius? Or a complete and total idiot that's also the luckiest idiot of all time. Like, I don't think those two people can coexist because he, Bruce Wayne, Batman says himself, he doesn't miss anything. And yet, it's like he missed everything. Like, this was a complete nonsensical resolution to the film. And 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 the Riddler prisoner scene uh, with Batman uh, isn't really great either. I struggled. For one, uh, it... As a performance, Paul Dano, I think, missed it, man. It gets a little too actory for me. He starts singing, and I think he starts overacting. Um, and it just doesn't... It pulled me out a lot. Um, whereas, what's frustrating about that, though, is that that scene starts very interesting, right? When he starts with Bruce Wayne. Because now, 
oh my God, he knows Batman's identity. He's going to blow the lid off this entire thing. And what is Bruce going to do? The Everyone's watching. The police are watching. This is on tape. He can't do anything. He can't. Oh, never mind. He doesn't know. It's fine. This is all, again, a pointless exercise, um, a pointless, toothless threat. Uh, and that's really, really frustrating because Riddler ultimately isn't very interesting. He's very boring. Even that scene ends in a very kind of lame way with Batman, you know, melodramatically pounding on the glass uh, and it's just useless effort. And so that was, those are the things that ultimately got to me is that we spent three hours in a, in a murder mystery, none the wiser and none, you know, without any good shock or payoff or, or I don't know, even a price. I, I don't think there was a good price. What did we lose? Like Batman, again, going back to Batman getting breaks, he had a literal bomb go off literally in his face five inches away. And he's, yeah, sure. It knocked him out, but you can't walk away unscratched. But here's the thing. They can't scratch his face because if Bruce Wayne starts showing up to places with a busted up face, there's a lot of questions that he's not going to be able to answer. And so once again, they painted themselves into a corner that they didn't really have to do. I don't know. And so that's why I'm like, man, three hours is a long time to invest in a story that takes you nowhere, uh, nowhere interesting. Because if his big lesson is that vengeance is bad, for one, I don't know where that places Batman from here on out. But two, I don't think it's a very strong through line considering how little we know and understand about Batman himself. Like it's, there's no emotional payoff there like whatsoever. Instead, we're once again left with a voiceover kind of expositing how he sees the world now, how everything's changed. And this entire movie is filled with exposition, which isn't all bad with a, with a, you know, a mystery. You, those, those moments are certainly going to happen, but it can't be all that. Uh, and then more of that as a, as a resolution filler, you need to have these emotional moments that, you know, build up off of emotion. They all need to be playing in harmony. Give us these emotional setups so that you can have these emotional payoffs. Um, and then you can kind of feel the rising tension throughout the film for the stakes, whether you want to make that Batman soul, uh, which is usually going to be, you know, a, a pretty common issue with superheroes of them wrestling against their power, right? Because they have all this power. Are they going to use it the right way? That's usually one of the questions you want to ask in a superhero movie. Um, and Batman kind of, just toes the line throughout the entire film. Yeah. I don't know. And, and uh, a bigger nutshell, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. I don't know if, uh, if you want to comment or backhand me or what, but that's no, no, not, a, not at all. What did you think of Pattinson's portrayal of Batman? I, I thought it was fine. I, I just, I struggled to care one way or another um, mm -hmm. because of how little I knew or cared about Batman himself. And so one thing I thought, one thing I hated, and this isn't his fault, um, was the costume design for for the Batman suit? Uh, I thought it was terrible. I thought that was a terrible really? design. Yeah, because oh. Robert Pattinson isn't that big. They went full Ben Affleck on someone who's the size of me. Like he's smaller than me, and yet they have him walking around in this puffy armored thing that look that literally you can see it kind of bouncing around, and it doesn't look functional as functional as it's portrayed throughout the film. Right? He has all these interesting grips and things around and i don't know that we really see the the functionality pay off with the design and so i thought the the, the suit itself was was just overly designed they should have slimmed well, it down uh, a yeah. hell of a lot 
Um, I could see that, but you know, he, if he's being shot and it's quote unquote bulletproof, like, sure. yeah. whoa, okay. then it, that shit's got to be thick. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So maybe I, I totally get that because when at one point where we see him from the back, it's like zooming into him and he's got his shirt off and he's like hunched over a table and I'm thinking, God, he's so scrawny. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, I, I remember thinking that, like, wow, he's super scrawny. Whereas Ben Affleck has got a good, I don't know, yeah. 50, 60 pounds on him, and yeah. that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's a that's a freaking, like, large Batman. Right. Um, the, yeah. this, you know, this version, I'm like, oh, I'd rather see him leaner, um, mm-hmm. because especially his fighting style kind of oscillates between quick and brutal. Um, and I think you can be brutal and still lean. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I, I get that. I'm on the fence. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think it was a bad portrayal. I just don't think I had a lot to go on. It was just it was so moody without anything to emotionally underpin it. Um, it was just kind of relying on moodiness to sell his character as opposed to give us a character who has a reason to to feel and act this way. Um, it just wasn't fleshed out. Yeah, I'm on to be honest, I think out of all the episodes we've had uh i agree with everything you've said <laughs> and you've kind of changed my mind on some points of the i still love the film yeah i would go watch it again tomorrow uh but but i think you're spot on with the story and like like you know these when you were saying half these points i i was just nodding like that's that's right oh yeah that didn't make sense and yeah no actually that didn't feel super good you know, like the the Riddler scene in the in the prison, like that felt really hokey when he's like yelling, no, no, you know, and all that stuff. And it, it just it didn't really land. But but I was just so happy, honestly, that that Pattinson, I loved his portrayal. Yeah. And and I was just so happy that I actually liked a Batman portrayal for the first time since <laughs> Keaton um, yeah. that I just didn't even give a shit what else was happening in in, in some ways. But I think that you've shed a massive light and a lot of a lot of points that that really make a lot of sense. I did feel really weird about the bring him into the light thing where he realizes and that, oh, he's laying he's like standing in the light or whatever. It's like, well, wait a minute. Batman didn't actually put him in the light. It was it was the penguin trying to shoot him. How could he how could the Riddler have known that that was going to happen? Yeah. There's no way, you know, and. And so maybe he just meant bring him outside. I don't know. Like Falcone's never outside. He could have shot him at any point. So right. that right. totally, totally makes sense. And then, and the, this, I, I liked the, the bombs placed around the city. I liked the, the, the cost of mm. now the city's going to be going to like be underwater. You know, like it's like a, a big deal, but you know, what was what was like the result supposed to be? Right. Because I think it was more or less, they knew we needed to have a big set piece, uh-huh. a big action sequence. And they built from that backwards. I think they may have started prematurely without really thinking through. Cause I, I as a sequence, I like it. Like I love the, the idea and the explosions, uh, the visuals. I, yeah, as a plan and a methodology for achieving a goal, uh, Riddler's, uh, He's very, he riddles me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because the cost that you made a good point was so that all of those incels or whatever they were could then, you know, just start picking people off. Well, if you have something else happen where they're all, because all the people were already in there, 
you know, they were there for that convention. So, and really the people that you wanted to shoot were like, you know, the cops and the, this, uh, uh, Bella woman. So that she was already there. You could have picked her off at any point. So why put all seven vans worth of bombs in that building in that building. And then right. you're targeting the the only people you're trying to target, which is ostensibly the well-to-do, even though there would still be a large degree of indiscriminate killing that would still take place. At least you're not targeting the entire city that you're claiming or at least pretending to care about through all these other shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Yeah, I man. Uh, you... <laughs> great points, man. You've opened my eyes to a lot of it, actually. And it makes me want to go watch it again to see if I... I really agree. I mean, I agree. I definitely agree with, uh, I mean, most of it, if not all of it, for sure. Uh, I think, yeah, I'll have to watch it again now. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well done. That, that's, that's all I got. I don't know if you have any other thoughts or if you want to move into the, the recos. No, I, I, no, I, I still loved it. I want to watch it again now with your notes. And I think that it'll give me another good perspective actually to watch it with another opinion, mm-hmm. like an opinion that I, that I respect and, and look for in a lot of ways, you know, cause I went in this movie having no idea, you know, we, we, I, I saw the first trailer and then I didn't watch anything else really. And I didn't want to look at any of the reviews. And I think the reviews are actually pretty good on this, at least from what I've, what I've seen since then, since watching the movie, but just going into it blind, I, I, I still really enjoyed it. So Yeah. I'm not sure if I even saw a preview. Um, or at least an entire preview. I saw bits and pieces. One of the frustrating uh, viewing experiences that I had with this was that, I don't know if this happened in your theater, but in mine, they played this DC promo right before the movie started that had clips of the movie I was about to watch. Oh, like, God. Like, no, they didn't do that. What are y'all doing? And it wasn't even a good promo, but just stop. That that to me is really, really frustrating. Like, I'm about to watch the movie and y'all are showing me the movie before I watch it. Stop it. Stop. Yeah, it, I, I did not have that, but I did have some annoying high school kids sitting right oh, behind me talking the whole freaking time. Damn. I even had to, like, look at them, you know, the oh, yeah. whole, like, look, and it yeah. didn't matter because there were, like, eight of them, so, like, <laughs> yeah. four others kept talking. Yeah, it was you're, so stupid. You're screwed on that one. Yeah. Nice. What are you, uh, you going to recommend this week? So, this week, I'm going to recommend a Pattinson film that we've we watched, uh, you know, a while back that I, I just really like him. I, I don't know. It's weird because I hated Twilight with a passion, right. but everything he's done since then, I've really enjoyed. Um, at least if, even if I didn't enjoy the movie, I enjoyed his part in it. I really like what he did with Batman, uh, this time. So I'm going to recommend the lighthouse, which is really a strange film to say the least, but definitely worth it just from this the standpoint of how do they pull off this black and white at night kind of like crazy thing and and the performances are fantastic his his um accent situation whatever i don't know uh-huh. his accent coach is yeah is amazing and and he's he's awesome in it so nice willem dafoe is also in it and he's incredible as well yeah he really is. He's a fantastic actor, Robert Pattinson. Obviously, Willem Dafoe is legend. Mm. But yeah, Pattinson is an incredible actor. And I've seen so many of his films that, yeah, there, there's no question. And it's one of those things like Twilight did him a lot of favors uh, as far as notoriety, allowed him to you know start picking his own projects. It just didn't do any favors uh, because of the writing to, to his acting. And yeah. I don't know, probably, you know, 
whatever. Uh, I'm going to recommend a murder mystery that I think is excellent, that I love. Uh, maybe, you know, not everyone likes it, but uh, it works for me. And it's a movie called Identity. It's got Amanda Peet and John Cusack. It's from a while back, probably like early 2000s, uh, maybe in like 2002, 2003. But it's a fun little horror murder thing. Uh, and I, I think it's entertaining and interesting awesome so yeah stay tuned for next week we're going to do a little indie film uh called sound of my voice if you haven't seen that it's uh it's by brit marling and uh zao big long last name um and so yeah i'm a huge brit marling fan and so um, i'm really excited to, to take a look at that um and if you're enjoying the, the the show don't forget subscribe drop us a review on the tunes and leave us a note if there's something you want us to talk about uh, if you want to weigh in on batman and why i don't get it i just do you, did you get it did you did you really get it did you get it let me explain it to you wes um you can, if you want to if you want to let me know you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the batman and our quote of the day today is from agatha christie any woman can fool a man if she wants to and if he's in love with her that's pretty much spot on bro <laughs> oh, it's so good <laughs> and it's great with the whole Catwoman situation with batman it's it's great it, totally and i picked this one for for multiple reasons one agatha christie uh right she wrote a lot of murder mysteries uh, but then this quote i thought was so perfect because i think people are going to love the batman because they love batman and you know you you are you just want to shut your brain off a little and enjoy it and i like that people like to like things i like to like things right right you know and so i like that idea that you know that same idea you know a woman can fool a guy if you know if if he's in love with her and, and if she wants to do that um well we're in love with the batman and of course you know we're gonna we're gonna get fooled into thinking this is an amazing movie but it's got so many flaws in my perspective um that it's fooled a lot of people into writing a lot of really good reviews uh, and they're gonna look back in about three years and say what wait hold on let's talk about this (laughs) (laughs) wes can see the future i love it awesome great quote man thanks all right thank you guys so much i had a really great time talking about this i learned a whole lot uh, thank you, Wes, for opening my eyes in, in, a, in a few few subtle ways. Uh, as, as Wes said, please review us, subscribe, share us on iTunes or with your friends or anything like that. And let us know uh, if we got something right or wrong and what you'd like to see us do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And join us next week when we're doing Sound of My Voice. Until then, I am Todd. I am Wes. Go watch some movies.